Hello and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I am your host, Jennifer Martin, and joining me is my uniform-wearing partner in crime, Jonathan Carey. <laughs> Hello. Why, why <laughs> uniform-wearing? Because for those that don't know or aren't, can't see you, this is your standard issue <laughs> uniform you wear this shirt you love i, I mean do you, you have it in have like 20 colors a pattern you know <laughs> so. i know i haven't seen it in a while and i was like how many colors do you have this shirt in uh just one no you do not i've seen it in other colors don't you have a green one? Oh, you're talking about the style of shirt. yes okay. um three colors okay so you know find something i like i stick with it it's actually, this is a different brand than the other two. The other two oh. I like better. So Okay. This is like the end of the rotation, and this is mm -hmm. like, I don't like the fit as much. So, yeah. Well, I like that you're changing things up. This keeps your brain fresh, like a new brand. <laughs> or I could just go the style. Steve Jobs route and black turtleneck. You could. <laughs> yes. Or um, I've been watching this other the theranos the elizabeth oh. holmes and she modeled her look after steve jobs because she felt like he looked very powerful yeah. and so the best thing know, i love about her is how she changed her voice <laughs> that is crazy yes as a speech pathologist i find that fascinating because i'm like that takes commitment i mean you have to Commit to that every think about how many times you begin to speak in to remind yourself that you have to use that. Yeah, maybe, th that volume yeah. or tone. Maybe one day you'll get to hear my real voice, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Does it sound like helium? <laughs> yeah, it's like the complete opposite side of the spectrum. So overcompensated. Well, everybody, <laughs> everybody, I'm like, you're doing a number on your vocal cords if you actually are doing that because. <laughs> You have to like stretch them out when to make your voice deeper or higher. I'll take your word. If you for were it. an SLP, you would know this, <laughs> and you, th you, you're. I know you think you're. I'm just trying to act like I don't know, so you seem smarter, you know, since you're the Aww. host and everything. I love this system we have. Thank <laughs> you. Um, yeah, and you get so many compliments on your voice. Could you imagine if you, if it was found out that you were faking this whole time <laughs> yeah it'd be like the the biggest ruse of all time so <laughs> we'd be canceled i mean it would be cancel culture i think we'll time. get canceled sooner than that for another reason so. we'll, we'll do something else to get canceled before that <laughs> if, Much people, more egregious. if people got the bloopers of this podcast we would have been canceled a long time ago <laughs> oh my gosh how many times if i had a, a dollar for every time i said you're not recording are you <laughs> So if I'm ever going to run for politics, I have to pay Jonathan is going to be, um, I would say you'd be um, wealthy, but I don't have enough money to pay you vice president. to be wealthy. <laughs> vice president. Then I'll get all the special interest to pay me. So you're just oh. kind of like a puppet. <laughs> Sounds like you've thought this through. So yeah, yeah, I'm all, I, I'm all, I'm here for it. So, well, I am very excited to, we have something a little bit different today. Usually it's just me and the guests, but it's me and two guests. So, and you know, they did a great job of, uh, sometimes with two, you never know who's on first, who's in, but no, not with these two. They, they understood the assignment. <laughs> they, they got it. They, they, they're good together. So let me tell you a little bit about our guests, plural. Um, 
First up is Danielle Stoller, and she's a neurophysical therapist who helps stroke and brain injury survivors improve their lives through a holistic rehab approach. And Maribeth Quinn uses the experiences and insights she has gained from her daughter's stroke recovery to improve therapist's understanding of the mental and emotional aspects of play at the recovery process. Together, they co-founded Expanded Practice, which teaches physical, occupational, and speech therapists to start utilizing the power of positive mindsets and expectations in the recovery process so they can connect, in their, connect with their patients on a more significant level and help them reach greater recovery potentials. Expanded Practice is passionate about improving the rehab experience for patients and therapists so both thrive and achieve the highest possible outcome. So we are thrilled to welcome Danielle and Maribeth. So welcome to Maribeth Quinn and Danielle Stoller. Thank you so much for joining us today. So happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's fun to have two people. <laughs> Usually it's just me with one person. So it's like, okay, we're going to have to figure out who's on first. That's right. So maybe I'll... <laughs> we can step all over each other. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, and I know you all have uh, probably worked together long enough that you are uh, have a uh, better well-oiled machine. Yeah. So yeah, a good system in place. And um, But yeah, before we get into that and um, talk more about just how you all know each other, I always love to start with just having you all tell me about your professional journey, because so many times I don't even know, and I learn so much. So tell us, and maybe um, Maribeth or Danielle, whomever wants to start, but just tell us a little bit about your professional journey and how you ended up where you are now. Yeah, I'm happy to start. Um, I have been a physical therapist for 21 years. And I started my career in outpatient orthopedics and found out very quickly that that was not a match. So I transitioned to outpatient neuro. And over the years, I became more and more specialized. And uh, over the last 10 years, I have treated predominantly stroke patients. And I always worked in an outpatient setting with just a sprinkling of acute care and inpatient rehab thrown in there, but um, primarily outpatient. And they were uh, facilities that were affiliated with hospital systems. But then in 2019, I transitioned out of the hospital system and I now have a cash-based private practice treating stroke patients. And I guess I can just jump in. I, yeah. I am actually, um, by trade, I've always been in the arts and I'm uh, an artist, a painter. And um, in the past, I've, I've done a lot of, we live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I've done a lot of uh, work in the studios, just doing vocals. I had about a 30 year career doing that. So I've done a little bit of everything. But um, Danielle and I met in 2012 because um, my daughter had a stroke. And so that's where our connection begins. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's such an incredible story because it, and it's interesting as well, because this is a you know, podcast that primarily speech pathologists listen to. And, mm -hmm. but um, there's definitely going to be a lot of connections between what you all have created and our speech pathologists that are listening. So, um, so just to kind of dig into that a little bit more, did you, and, and, and how old was your daughter when she had her stroke, Beth? She was just weeks away from being 19. She okay. was in her first year in college in Chicago. Wow. That's, yeah. Ugh. It, it was something it was um it, it, she was perfectly healthy up till that time 
and um, she had, you know, they later discovered she had a spontaneous tear in her carotid mm. and they don't really know why those occur many times. And um, it was, it was a big one. It was, it was pretty massive and it left her with um, no movement on her right side and sort of the epicenter of the stroke was actually her language center. So all of her language was gone. She couldn't understand anything. She couldn't speak. Um, you know, it was, it was that sort of odd thing where she could tell time, but she couldn't tell you the time mm -hmm. and she couldn't process any of the language that had to do with the numbers or, or anything like that. So <clears throat> she had some visual deficits, deficits too, but, um, by far the language was the most debilitating for sure. And, um, so she's been in recovery for the last 10 years, Wow! still gaining great grounds. Um, but that is how Danielle and I met, um, in 2012, because, um, we were seeking outpatient therapy and came across her path and just, they just made an instant connection. Like one of the first things I noticed about Danielle was how, um, it seemed like so many people, even if they knew that she, that Sophie, that's my daughter's name, uh, even though they knew she had a language disorder, they didn't know how to stop trying to get her to talk or how to, how, how to relay something without using language. And what I noticed about Danielle is that she, from the very start, communicated so well with her and used very little language. And their connection was really strong. And so I was just very taken with that. And of course, incredibly grateful and appreciative that somebody was reaching her in that way. And um, so I think our, uh, our kinship about how the brain heals and how to really connect with people and help them meet their goals, that's where that started. Yeah. All those and years ago. And, and, and it's just, and it's, you know, thinking about 19 year old having a stroke and how that would be so challenging because when you look at this young, vibrant person, you know, and I'm sure Danielle, you uh, don't see a lot of 19 year olds in your, in your practice or didn't, you know, at that time, it's usually, you know, older people overseeing. So that would be so challenging. So what, I mean, my heart goes out to her and to you as her mom during that time, that would be really, um, just a probably many, um, uh, a lot of challenges that came from there, I'm sure. Yeah. And so it, you, it's a huge learning curve for sure. Oh, I bet. Yeah. It's like, especially we say life is what happens when you're making plans. That was not mm -hmm. part of the plan. Was no, it? not at all. <laughs> so didn't know a thing about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and so you just happened to find Danielle because she, you had seen that she worked with uh, people that had had stroke is that and then connected well, with actually, her that way it was one of those serendipitous things where the the rehab hospital we were at in mm -hmm. chicago when we were leaving the ot that was seeing sophie said i want you to try this device which she wound up not using eventually but she was like there's one person in nashville that uses it go to her and so we got her name and she is actually the one that thankfully said, this is the PT you need to see. Mm -hmm. And they really worked heavily together. They did a lot of 
co-treating and conferring with one another and, and actually with her speech therapist too. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of communication going on between the three of them mm -hmm. for about the first five years of Sophie's recovery. And it was, it was absolutely, I can't, I don't know what planets aligned for us to have such good luck with that, but we really did. We're so grateful to them. Yeah, I, it is. I, I love when life works out that way and it's just, mm -hmm. yeah, it creates a path for you. So yeah. they're working together. And then at what point, you know, so Danielle, um, you know, you're working with a 19 year old that's just had a stroke and um, trying to physically get her stronger. At what point do you all decide, because you do have this business together now, which we'll talk more about, but um, called expanded practice. And, uh, you know, we'll get into what makes it unique and what you all do. But how did that relationship grow into let's do this business together? Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, first of all, uh, unfortunately, there are a lot of younger people having strokes. And so oh. um, having a 19 year old with a stroke wasn't that unusual. Oh, wow. But, okay. I didn't know. But that. what was unusual was the way Maribeth interacted with her. And um, it was something that caught my attention right away, that she had this palpable feeling of optimism, of well-being, of certainty. She dealt with Sophie's deficits better than most medical professionals. And... Um, it was just a really influential state of being. And when I met them, Maribeth is saying all of these wonderful things, and I'm so happy that it came across that way because when they crossed my path, I was actually on the verge of quitting my job. I um, felt burned out. I was looking to see what else could I do with my degree. So when I met them, and I saw this person <laughs> able to think and be in these ways in such a catastrophic situation. Something clicked and I thought, wow, how can I take what this person has figured out how to do because she loves her daughter so much? How can I take that and put that into all of my patients' sessions and have that kind of influence with all of my patients and um, really use these things for their advantage and for mine. And what I realized is that I just needed a new way to think. And so Maribeth and I were having conversations. You know, it started out as it normally does, as like um, family education. Mm -hmm. And then she would make these comments about the brain and what she was noticing at home. And it just intrigued me. So we started having deeper discussions. And then it was years before, um, we thought, hey, I think we really have something because I was looking into the research to see what, what does science say about all these things this mother is telling me is happening? Like, what does science say about how we're all connected and affect each other? And I was putting things into my practice and getting these responses from patients that I never had before. We thought, we have to tell more people about this. You know, I started feeling better. I know there are other therapists that feel like I do. How can we improve their experience and share what we know? Well, and I'd love to, as I'm thinking of what how, you were talking about your first experience with Maribeth and how you were watching her interact, what are some examples of things that you saw that really made you think, huh? Because I'm thinking, 
could I put more of that into my own practice? You know, what would, can you think of anything? I know it's been a while since that day, but just what, does anything stand out for what she was doing specifically that made you really think, huh, that's interesting. You know, um, when people ask me that question, all I can say is it wasn't so much what she did. It was how it felt. Um, like I said, there was a feeling in the room that, that made an impact on me. Um, of course, like she, she was never in a state of urgency, even if we were talking about really significant things. Like for instance, um, early on, Sophie would get very ill when you challenged her system. And so she would vomit and, you know, she, she, she couldn't say yes or no. So you'd look at her and say, are you going to throw up? And she'd say no. And then she'd throw up, you know, and, and Maribeth's way about her, it wasn't panic. It wasn't, um, anything that, that you would expect. It was just this calm presence. And she just dealt with everything in this way that was very, very healing. And, um, and she seemed to take in what I said, you know, she had, she was open and clear so she could make good decisions. And, it, and the more I was around her, the more I thought, this is how I want to be for my patients. And almost like thinking like, an opposite of that would have been somebody in that situation that would have felt very, oh, oh gosh, I'm, you know, I can't believe this happened. We got to, you know, kind of, or, or when working with you, it's okay. What do we need to do next? Okay. I want to get to this stage. What, tell me what we need to do much more just task oriented versus letting Sophie have that time that she needed to accomplish the next step. Is that, would you say that? Did I, is that accurate? Yes, I, I, I would. Okay. I would say that I remember having responses during that time. Just you know, let me put this in. I'm not like <laughs> this extraordinary person. I. It was a decision. It was. I was very clear when this happened to her that whereas you normally have maybe thousands of choices about how to react to something, I had two. And one of them was to be what you just des described about just filled with urgency and, and fear and, um, grief, but there was something about looking in her face and you see your kid, you know, you see your daughter and it was so clear that this was going to be the hardest thing she'd ever done. And that I, I loved her. Like, I don't know. There was something very singular about it. Like what is most important here? Okay. Well, there's too many things happening around me. I'm just going to focus on this one thing. And that is, I need to be calm for her. I need to let her know it's all going to be okay. And that she's going to do this. She can do this. And there was, there was something when it was most urgent in our lives was when I got mm -hmm. the calmest and it took a lot of practice, but um, it is definitely, it is a way of thinking. It's not like I had this magical gift or, um, was, you know, I, that it came natural. It was more, um, that it was something that I 
realized worked and it was what I wanted to be for her. And then I practiced. And, you know, the more research we read just about how our our brains make meaning out of things and we tell stories about what things mean and what's happening and that you can actually work with those stories, then it starts to make sense, you know, that what I was doing was I was picking a story about her future and about how she was going to do that not only supported her, but it helped me keep being there for her in the best possible way that I could. And I just held to that story and I didn't listen to anything else, whether they were a doctor or, you know, and, um, you know, so we've, we've just sort of come up with this, uh, a way of looking at this with therapists. You know, the thing that I realized this is how it came around to be, to being about therapists is what I realized is that Sophie spent more time with her therapist than she did with any other medical professional, yeah. hands down, like exponentially more time with therapists. So they had time on their side. They had a relationship with her. Like that is an intimate job getting in there and trying to help somebody put their life back together and their body back together. Um, they had her trust. She also saw them to be the experts. So whatever they said, um, really sparked her belief and her trust in them. They had all these things that were highly influential. And I saw a lot of therapists that as, as, um, diligent as they were, they didn't really, they didn't seem to be aware that they had these things at their disposal. And so we just started envisioning, envisioning what does it look like when we could really train therapists to see not only do they have their clinical skills, but they have these human interaction skills and all these things like time and trust and relationship on their side that they can use um, to really positively affect um, a healing journey. Well, and I, that's I mean, you said that so beautifully. And, you know, as you're saying that, I'm thinking it comes back to what Danielle mentioned that, so here you, your, your paths collide in a, a way that probably nobody could explain. And you both realize that you've, you've got something here. Um, Danielle's feeling burnt out. Like, I don't want to keep doing this, but it has this renewed sense of, okay, this is, I want to keep doing this, but maybe under these terms instead, and so you all form expanded practice and tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what's the, what was, what's the premise of your, of this practice? What's the idea behind it? And then really just oh, who, what disciplines would, would benefit from this and, and who should, who should learn more about this? Well, what we do is we teach therapists a system, a thinking process that really makes them master communicators so they can navigate all the emotional and psychological elements of rehab that are there in every single session. And what it will do for you is that it makes you feel more effective. It gives you stronger, more authentic connections with your patients, and you're going to enjoy your job on a whole new level. Um, and it, it's a very empowering thing to have. But I would say who would benefit from this would be any PTOT or speech therapist in any discipline, you know, any discipline in any setting at any point in their career, because you are dealing with human beings. And um, 
what we've found, we've talked to many, many different therapists and therapists usually fall in one of these three categories when it comes to this. First, they say, whoa, this isn't my job. You know, I'm not a mental health therapist and I just don't feel comfortable in this realm. And that's not what we're saying at all. If your patient needs a mental health therapist, please refer them to one. But they are going to have emotional responses when they're in your session. And so if you have a system to navigate that, you're going to be better for them. Second kind of therapist is one that says, okay, I get it. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do these things. But then they spend all kinds of time trying to fix their patient's problems. And they kind of abandon the PTOT or speech things. And we're saying that's not quite it either. <laughs> These are things that you infuse into your session. These are ways that you um, you act and be that that help your patient be more receptive to what you do. And then there's the third type. This type of therapist says, "I already do this." I'm kind, I'm compassionate, I see my patient as a whole person, I already do this, thank you, this was a great reminder. And what I say to them is, that's great, you have a great start, but you can always get better. This is a skill, and the better you get, the better you feel. Because when you realize that we all affect each other on this significant way, then you think things like, what did I do with my face, my eyes, my breath, my words before I gave them this task? What did I do during? What did I do afterwards? Did I do everything I could to influence this patient so that they can reach their goals? Then, you know, not only are you using your clinical skill, but you're doing all these other things that boost the impact of it. So that's, that's it in a nutshell. It's really exciting for me to talk about because it's so great. <laughs> well, and plus it's because, because it's relational, it's not something that you ever just arrive at, you know, like get a, mm -hmm. a certification and there you are, or because it's, it's a human being to a human being, you only have what you are in the moment. It's, it's just what you brought into the room with you. Mm -hmm. You know, how are you feeling right now? What's going on in your head? What's going on in your heart? How do you feel about your job right now? How do you feel about that patient? And then you got to do it again in the next moment. But there are practices that you can put into place that, that keep you sort of coasting in certain directions mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, and, and I know this from being a caregiver, that if I don't have some preparation, if I'm not preparing my mind, if I'm not preparing my state of being, then I have no choice but to just be reactionary to whatever mayhem is going on in the moment or whatever is, you know, coming from left field. There is no other way to be than just reactionary. And so it's, it really is about being aware, learning to observe, um, learning how to bring these skills of relating to another human being into what you already do. Because you're not, you're not setting aside time to do this. You're learning how to fold them in with everything that you're doing, every, every way that you touch them, how you look at them, um, 
what is what is your voice sound like? All of these things are actually communicating. I mean, there's some research that says up to 93% of our communication is nonverbal. And that's a shockingly high number yeah. when you think when you think how we I think most of us probably assume that most of our communication is what we're saying verbally. And it's actually the opposite. And so when I learned that, I was thinking, wow, so do I really know what I'm communicating? Do I know what's in there? You know, do I know how to work with it? And that's really what, what all of this is about is just gaining an awareness in this thing that is already existing in your practice. Um, these dynamics are, are going on all the time. And now this just gives therapists a way to actually feel like, okay, I know where I'm at in this. And I don't have to be worried about what's coming around the pike. I have a system in place for knowing how to deal with these big um, emotional and mental obstacles. Yeah. And as, as you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, here we are, you, you all made such a great point. And it's just such a good reminder that whether you're working in a hospital or a rehab facility or outpatient or a school, oftentimes we are seeing whomever we're working with is that they're most vulnerable. And I think it is very easy when we all, because I'm thinking, you know, somebody listening to this, that's like, you know, I have eight patients, nine patients a day. I got to see in 30 minute increments, boom, boom, boom. Like I don't have time to, you know, sit and, and, and put this into practice, but I'm thinking that, you know, it, it is probably much, I, I like that you're using the word practice because it isn't something where you say, oh, I'm just going to do this, 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 these three things, and then everything's going to get better. It is something that you have to learn, put it into place and then practice it. And then it does get easier. And I'm thinking, you know, I know that mindfulness is a big, big term being used right now, but I was actually just listening to this podcast where is this specialist who she specializes in attention and all of her research is on attention and how to improve attention. Yes. And one of her biggest areas that she has people work on is mindfulness. And it's really, it is very interesting how much that practice actually affects all these other parts of your life. So yeah, I love that. it. I mean, I think that's where people need to know. It's, I, I think we all think, well, I just want a quick fix. I just want, tell me what to do so I can just start doing, but it really is that, yes, you may have to put in a little bit more time and be patient and really say, oh, I got to, you know, do this and keep working and keep improving on it, but that the long-term benefit is what you're saying, Danielle, where you really enjoy what you're doing again and connect with your patients in a way that you hadn't for a long time. Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. And I would say that example you used of the person that sees eight to nine people a day and they have, you know, just 30 minute increments and you're going from one to the other. I, I know what that's like. I've I've done that, and I've also worked in um, clinics that are loud, mm -hmm. hectic, chaotic places that are absolutely not good for a healing brain. And, and I would often have those things played in my head of how, how can anybody be expected to get better here? How can, how can I do my job? There are all these things going on in the healthcare environment that um, have nothing to do with patient care, but absolutely affect patient mm -hmm. care. Insurance restrictions, documentation requirements, um, productivity expectations. And so that person who's doing that needs this 
more than maybe somebody who has hour long breaks and a nice or hour long sessions in a nice quiet space because when you can shift your focus to what it is you control you understand that it is the moment i am in now and i have choices i can make now to affect this patient and you train your mind to go into those areas and then the next thing you know you think okay I know from the research that stress is contagious. I know that I can affect this person's physiology by simply calming my own self. <laughs> by, by lowering my own heart rate, I can affect them. Because you know research is saying that the electromagnetic waves of a beating heart can be picked up in the brain of the person standing next to them. And it creates some sort of reflection. And scientists believe this might partly explain why you feel calm when you're by a calm person. So I want to do that. If emotions are contagious and we're going to catch the strongest one around us, I want to be that for that patient or for that family member that's sitting there that needs it. Because when you send your patient home, they're going to go home with that family member. So if you can influence that caregiver, you've done a good thing. So when you realize all the different ways you can have your impact, it does make you enjoy your job in a new way. And, and you see all these opportunities that you never realized you had before. And so what do you say, because I mean, I, 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 I'm listening to you thinking, yes, you know, it's really, and even you know, I've worked with NICU babies for years, and I know there's so many wonderful studies just about what we know about how babies heal with being around how they've redesigned NICUs to be more healing and even the things that yes. they ask the caregivers to do that to be in sync with the baby. So it's like, why would that be any different as we get older? But what do you say to the person? Because I just know that right now, you know, burnout is so rampant in our fields where we've just, we've our whole career we've given and given and given. And so like, well, I have nothing else to give. So what would you say to the person who's listening that's, that's thinking, yeah, I'd love to do this, but I am so beyond drained. I don't even know how to get myself back to a place where I could even be receptive to this. Like what, what would be, what steps would you recommend that that person take if they were going to get more invested in, in, in expanded practice and what that looks like? How would that look for them? Uh, I would say the very first thing I would do is, um, we created a free guide for this this very purpose. It's called Eight Simple Ways to Start Thriving in Your Practice Today. And it's eight ways you can just take one and you can put it to use in your session immediately. So um, these are all going to be little things that start to address the way you think. You know, burnout is, be is emotional exhaustion. It's, it's uh, low personal accomplishment and um, depersonalization. And so you have to start, start with the connection. Connection is where the thriving will be. And so one of the things um, that you can do that I do, and this isn't even on the guide, so there are eight there and there's nine. Here's, here's the ninth. Here's a bonus. <laughs> here's a bonus. The bonus thing <laughs> that I do with every patient in every session at some point is I s intentionally look them right in the eye without an agenda to break up my habitual thought of the role I am in as therapist. And I just look at them and it's amazing. You know, 
because I notice the color of their eye in a different way, or I notice um, the shape of their face, or I can kind of see what they might have looked like when they were young. And, and it just kind of, it endears them to me. And, and 99% of the time, they can feel it because something happens in their eye and it glimmers and they often smile or, or they soften. And, and those are the moments when I feel like I thought I would feel when I became a therapist, you know, and you start building on those and you realize like, oh, if I say this statement, you know, if I simply tell them you're ready for this, that helps them. So you, you start layering these things. And, and the next thing you know, you, you have a different presence about you and you're having different conversations and you don't feel as burned out. All the stuff's still there. All of the paperwork, all the productivity, it's all still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. And maybe you do need to get a different job. That could be. But when you're clear, then you make those decisions um, with eyes open rather than reacting and taking the same thought processes with you to the very next job. Well, and, and the, all the coping strategies are really just a Band-Aid. I mean, there like Danielle was saying, your, your workload is probably not going to change. Right. And so that is yeah. the system you work with. And I think most of us, when we're in a situation that feels overwhelming, that feels demanding, that feels urgent, sometimes we honestly have thoughts that we can't feel better until we can change the system. Even though we know we really can't change the system. Like this, this is how it operates. And so really your only choice is to change the way that you operate in it and come into that present moment. And those moments that Danielle was talking about where she actually breaks up her habitual thought and she does something different and connects with the person and sees something change in them. I can personally attest to having watched somebody in a monumental recovery effort for 10 years, those moments are it. Mm -hmm. That is when, that is when the valves open and something new can come in and connect whatever it is that you're trying to do with somebody. If that's not happening, if there's, if there's like those dense emotions or they're, or dark or whatever, and you're just trying to plow through it, Nothing's going to happen there. Mm -hmm. There, there is a, we're all made this way. There is an emotional readiness that is required for it's a receptivity that is required for learning something new and for, for healing. And you kind of, in your job, you kind of have to know a little bit about that. And it's not woo woo stuff. It's science stuff. It's, it's stuff you can look for. You know what to look for. If mm -hmm. does their color change? Do they sit up a little bit differently? Do you mm -hmm. see their eyes? Like, like Danielle was saying, do, does, is there a little glimmer or something? These are just things we know about other human beings. We know what's happening. We know that the feeling is changing. And when that's happening, you're on it. And everything is saying, okay, keep going down this path. So you start to get these intuitive knowings about where to go and when to say this and what to say. And even though you're still working in the same system, 
your career starts to feel very different because you're staying in the moment and you're connecting to that one person that's right in front of you for some reason. And that's really what you got in it for. I'm guessing, you know, you got in it for that one-on-one, they leave thinking, thank you. You really helped me today. You know, even if you, it wasn't something you could check, you know, on a chart or that you could tell somebody about, you know, in your heart that they're better having been with you. And that's, I think, very often missing when the schedule is so demanding and hectic and that's all you can see. Um, that gets pushed to the wayside like it's expendable, but it's not expendable. It's you'll, you'll burn out really quickly without that element. And so that's what we've been so sort of amazed because we didn't start out with this program going, we're going to, we're going to combat burnout. We, we didn't even have that thought in our heads, but the people mm-hmm. that went through it kept coming back to us and saying, I can't believe how my burnout has gone down. I can't believe how my resilience is up. I can't believe how I'm getting excited again about my career. So it was kind of a shocker to us, but it makes sense when you really look at how we all work. Yeah, it really does. And at the end of the day, we all want to feel like we're seen. We all want to feel like we're heard and that's what that's giving. And then when they feel that way, it's, it is, it's, mm-hmm. it's these yes. mirror neurons. Yeah. We just, we come back and forth. So if I'm an S I am an SLP, um, let's say I was feeling like, you know, I really like what I'm hearing and I'm feeling like I just need to do something to make some positive changes. I go onto your site and what happens next? You know, who's working with me? What is, what is the structure? What, what would I expect from the program? Well, um, we have a, a variety of programs. We have, um, we have one that is sort of our personal favorite. It's a, it's a 30 day immersive program. There's some digital content that you go through. And then we have uh, weekly meetings that are live with us because you really get the changes when you're not only taking in content, but you're able to implement them in your practice. And you also can get feedback and talk about how it goes and what does that look like? And what were my other options and why didn't this work? Um, So that's our favorite one. It's called the indispensable therapist clearing the lens. And it's really like Danielle was saying that thinking system. Um, and then we also have another digital class called how to communicate with the healing brain, like, like an expert, um, that's sort of a one and done thing. Like you can just get that and take that class. And we also have, um, a monthly therapist meeting. It's the last Tuesday of every month and it's free, it's virtual, and it's just like-minded therapists that come together. There's a little bit of education and then everybody gets to talk about their clinical issues or maybe offer up solutions that they've found. And it's a really great give and take of expertise and knowledge and growing. And um, yeah, I think, did I leave anything out, Daniel? Uh, we also do a continuing education course. Uh, so if, if someone is listening and they want something to come to their facility, uh, we do a live or virtual format of that. There's a two and three hour version. And um, you can contact us if you're interested in that part. But that's a good intro to all of this as well. Yeah, and we're going to put all the ways that they can get in touch with you all in the show notes and at the end. So um, if anybody is interested. And, and so with the 30-day course, is, um, is it, do you combine disciplines? Is it, would it be all PTs, all OTs, or is it a 
all disciplines together? It's all disciplines together. And um, what is great about it is because we all treat humans, mm -hmm. we can all learn how to relate. And, you know, um, speech therapists have a different perspective than a physical therapist who has a different perspective than an occupational therapist. So when when they're all together looking at a problem, often you learn something from someone who's not in your discipline that you might never have thought of before. Um, and even if I give an example, that's a very PT example, it's, it's about a patient's beliefs. It's about their expectations. It's about an emotional response. And you're going to be dealing with all of those things as a speech therapist as well. So there, there really isn't an issue of needing to separate the disciplines. We, we all learn from each other and it's, um, it's works out well. Well, and I will tell you, I've been part of um, a group for 11 years now. It's a NICU team, and it's made up of, there's SLPs, OTs, PTs, mental health providers, a dietitian, and we meet every month. And just mm -hmm. listening to what you all do, it's, I honestly, we were, we were just having a meeting, our last meeting, and uh, last month, and every one of us had said, we would not still be doing this work had we not had this group. And it's very similar to where we do a lot of, you know, almost uh, you know, support, reflective supervision. Um, mm -hmm. And, but also you're exactly right where just every, it, my SLP hat doesn't mean that everything fits in that little bucket. It's helped me tremendously to see things that, oh, this is how this is connected to the PT. This is how this is connected and realize that we really do have a lot that we can learn and overlap with each other. So. I love the idea of having that group that you can, because you, you, every every discipline does have its own kind of unique personality. So it's interesting that they can, I, I think that's fabulous that they can learn from each other and really hear different perspectives because that's what really helps us to grow and improve in our practice as well as just learning from other disciplines. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, when Sophie had, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I think that her therapists really worked together. There's something about, um, because of course, obviously education wise and time wise, it, it needs to be broken mm -hmm. apart. But when you're talking together from those three disciplines, you're seeing the whole person and you're seeing the way the places that all these things overlap. And that is where the, uh, she was really able to get a lot of integration into what she was doing and wasn't just learning to think of herself in these segmented ways. Um, it was really all about putting her whole self back together. And so I, I do think there's incredible value. I love listening to therapists all talk together from their different mm -hmm. disciplines and say, oh my God, I've never thought about yeah. it that way. That's incredible. And it just expands the way they think about their own job and and makes it um, uh, just more thorough and uh, I don't know, it's new. Absolutely, and I think just having that community outside of your own work is so powerful because it's, it's too easy to get caught up when you're in your day-to-day -day and it's some, there is something I think also in, in what I have with this team as well, and that's why I think this is wonderful and um, is that, it's nice to have that outside 
support system as well. That's not, I mean, yes, absolutely. Do we want people within our schools and facilities that we can lean on? Yes. But it is nice to have that, that outside support system too, that's a little bit non-biased and that you can just really be open and honest with because they don't <laughs> know necessarily all the dynamics. Um, right. And do you all set goals for the clinicians? Do they set goals themselves? Is there such where, you know, what are you hoping to get out of this? This is what, how do you work with that? Well, time and again, what we hear from therapists is they either have one or both of these things that they want. They want to better serve their patient mm -hmm. or an and <laughs> they want to <laughs> lower the emotional toll of their job. So the goal of our program is to do those things, to improve your patient care experience and how you view your job. And so what we, we want when you come away from our programs is that you spend your time more efficiently because you focus on what's controllable. You know that you're making the right choice at the right time because you have a better understanding of the art and science of human interaction because that is that can make or break your session. Mm -hmm. um, we want you to be enjoying your job more because you're truly creating these authentic connections and you're having that bigger impact on your patient's recovery because you're using everything at your disposal, your clinical skill and these human interaction skills. And the amazing byproduct is that it's going to create a ripple effect of positive change in your life because you cannot do these things in one area, especially at work, where you spend a great deal of your time and have it not affect another area. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and often what we find from therapists is they really become leaders of of change, of positive development in their workplace because people start to notice because they're the ones that can work with the difficult patient because they're looking at them through a different lens. Um, there are fewer patient refusals uh, because they they don't get as rattled, you know, and, and you start to stand out from the crowd a little bit because, mm -hmm. because of, um, of these, these things that that, like I said, boost your technical skills because you can be the most technically skilled therapist in the world. But if you can't get that patient to trust you, it won't be effective, right? Yeah, and I'm thinking too, is uh, many of the places I've worked, there are, it is very easy to get into that group think mentality and, off, and it's almost easier for it to go down a negative road of, this is bad. This is bad. And then there are, uh, it is interesting because I'm thinking of people as you're talking that, gosh, this person was that anchor mm -hmm. and that calm where it, it, there was something where you thought that looks much more pleasant <laughs> than this over here. And so there, you're, I think you're right that it does, it is contagious. And, and so even making that change, it could also just create a systems change within a, a facility or a school. Absolutely. There's a culture everywhere you go and you either get sucked into it or you create your own, you know? Mm -hmm. And so you just have to think how much is your happiness at work worth? What is that worth? And yeah. for me, I, I was on the extreme end where I was thinking, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I have to find something else. And I've totally moved to the other side of, wow. Now, do I have bad days? Of course have bad days, I have frustrating days, but my overall sense is 
I have one of the greatest jobs there is. I can do things that not many people can, and this is a great use of my life. And when you feel that way inside, other people sense it, and um, the demand for your services goes up, you know, uh, you, you really do have a better experience day in and day out. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, because you're right. We, have, we spend more time at work oftentimes than we do at home. And so why not have that be a better yeah. experience where you don't feel like you feel better about what you're doing. You're able to feel more productive, but the people you're working with get that too. And then you see better outcomes. So right. it's, and, and then by seeing better outcomes, it also helps combat that burnout because oftentimes we can't, we feel burnt out because like, I keep doing this and nobody's getting better <laughs> and I'm not, what's, what good am I here for? Why, why did I even doing this? Why am I showing up? So it is very cyclical right in in a, in a positive way yes yeah 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 it which is great um and yeah and just quickly is there I, mean, I know you you mentioned some different research is there um someone in particular or research in particular that if somebody was interested in learning more they could go to or is this something you cover when you're working with a group well um Anytime we present, anytime that you interact with us, we will be telling you some science along with whatever we're telling you. So we do that. And the science comes from all over neuroscience, psychology, yeah. education, social science, medical, all of this stuff. Um, I would say if you want to read some interesting things, there's a book called How Healing Works by Wayne Jonas. It's very good. Um, the placebo literature will blow your mind on how what we believe affects our bodies. Um, there's uh, someone named, I hope I say her name right, it's Aaliyah Crum. She's done a lot of work on uh, similar things like the patient-provider relationships mm -hmm. and how they impact health outcomes. Um, and, uh, of course, mindset, Carol Dweck is a big one, you know, so... Angela Duckworth with, with the grit stuff. Those are all mm -hmm. good places to start. But uh, there's so much that when what we do, and, and I just did this for myself and I found it so helpful, was we take these things that are out there and we say, okay, this is great. How does that apply in a therapy world? What can mm -hmm. we do in a therapy session that takes this concept that someone may be uh, applied in education. How do we do that when our patient is trying to learn something new? What can we do? So that's that's really what our programs do in regard to research and techniques. Yeah, and I imagine too that how could this not carry over into other parts of your life? Because once you know this and you're practicing, it's not like, well, once I walk out the door from work, I'm done. I mean, I imagine this with friendships and family and just being more, you know, and for yourself, um, it just, um, I, I can't imagine you wouldn't see across the board changes once you really start doing this. Yeah. Yes. And we've actually had, um, people come back to us and say the most extraordinary things. Like we had one therapist come back and say, you know, I was honestly thinking, how can I exit this, this career? Because I want to be a mom and I, I, I can't do that. Like I will have nothing left mm -hmm. for my kids. If I go ahead and go down that path, if I keep doing this, this job. And after she went through our program, she was like, I think I, 
I actually have a context now. I can, I can figure out how to do this. And I, I felt like that was, that was a pretty amazing statement because really, you know, when you decide to take on a job where you're helping people, it shouldn't do that to you. You know, it shouldn't take over your life and limit all of the other personal areas that you, that you are aspiring to. It should, um, it should make them more possible. And I have such, such gratitude in my heart for all of the therapists that have done things for my daughter that I could not have done. I just wasn't educated in that. I didn't know how to do it, but they knew how to do it. And you know, some of the most important moments were when they were doing these things they were educated for and also speaking to her heart and, and speaking to her, who she was and giving her hope and telling her, you can do this. I see you. I see who you are. Keep going because those are the things where the rubber really meets the road. That is, that is what takes your clinical skills and actually gives them wings so they actually can take them somewhere new. And so, yeah, it's, it's a pretty amazing thing. We love the effect yeah, that it has on it's, people. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, I, I love the, just the whole concept and, and I'm thinking as well that just after this last couple of years with COVID and, you know, how depleted people <laughs> feel that this seems like the perfect opportunity and time to really find that and make those changes that could really have such a very positive impact and help people find that joy and calm in this very uncalm situation that we've been living through. So yes. Now if somebody, so if yeah. one of our listeners um, is interested in getting started, it sounds like going to your website is the best way or what would you recommend? Yes, absolutely. Go to our website. It's expanded-practice.com and all the information is there. And please, please reach out to us if you have any questions. We're, we love talking to people. We'd be happy to answer anything directly. So um, that's what I would recommend you do. We're also on Instagram and Facebook and all of that stuff that I'm sure will be in the show notes too. Yeah. We'll put that in the notes for anyone to get in touch with you. And I mean, I'm not just saying this, but it's like, I feel calmer <laughs> as, you know, I came into this so frazzled and it's just been such a day. And so I'm already feeling like, gosh, I just really think I would enjoy a, a group with the, with the two of you because, and with other clinicians, it really does. You can feel you can feel it. It's just a, I, I see what you're saying now where, you know, you each kind of, you know, see this exuded in the other. And so I, I feel it from both of you. Um, yeah, I'm so glad your That's paths good. crossed and that you all just you know, created this, this practice that really, I think is going to be so beneficial. I'm sure it's already has been, but will be to many more people. So thank you for your time and for your, your desire to, to help other clinicians. And, um, and I'm glad that Sophie is doing better. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for having us on the show. We really, really enjoyed it. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning into SLP full disclosure. For more information about this episode, check out the show notes on our website at medtravelers.com slash SLP full disclosure. And don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe. So you never miss a guest. Are you interested in becoming a travel SLP? Visit medtravelers.com to learn more and explore the exciting opportunities we offer at top level facilities across the country. 
Also, a special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Med Travelers. See you next time.